Hi, this is James Barris. I hope you find this talk supports you in your practice. If you'd like to support my teaching, you can use the donate button underneath my picture on Dharma Seed to do that. Your support is greatly appreciated. So I'm calling the the talk tonight um, internally and externally holding it all. And as I mentioned before the break that um, I wanted to share with you having come from that uh, retreat with Venerable uh, Analio uh, Bhikkhu, this amazing um, scholar and meditation master. Uh, I was so inspired last week. I gave that talk on his, um, his way of practicing the Anapanasati Sutta, the, the discourse on mindfulness of breathing. And uh, it was really going in to um, the finer points of how to work with the Buddha's words for deep internal dive uh, leading to liberation. And so the whole week, we were just getting more and more refined to the the workings of of the mind and gladdening the mind and uh, and reflecting on impermanence and on uh, on liberation. And then the last day of the retreat, he started with these words, and somebody was uh was taking them down and share with them later share them with me later this is how he started mm-hmm. this morning i want to talk about climate change though some say this is not an appropriate topic for the dharma hall in my view and in light of the crisis we are facing, there is no more appropriate or necessary topic. And then he proceeded to spend the morning on not just the crisis, but about how the Dharma and Dharma practice is the key to both holding our internal experience and uh, waking up as a species. Mm. It was really powerful. And he was quoting uh, the Buddha in the Satipatthana Sutta. The the Buddha would, there was an ongoing refrain, one is mindful internally and externally. That is, the Buddha is saying, Notice what your internal experience is. Understand how suffering is created and, uh, and the possibility of, of awakening from that suffering and the path. Um, but also be mindful of the world around you and internally and externally, knowing the breath internally and externally. That is, seeing others breathing, seeing others walking and in all the postures. And uh, 
And it was quite a, a shift as we were about to go out in the world. Mm-hmm. And I, um, I was struck because as, as people, if you've come here before, know, uh, from time to time I've given uh, talks on this topic. And I sometimes hesitate to, to, to give another talk because I'm thinking some people are saying, oh, let's just get down to the Dharma, you know. Do we have to look at that again? Yeah. And if you're one of those going through that right now, um, I appreciate that internal experience. Mm-hmm. As here you are externally connecting with, with us. And um, I also hesitate to talk about it because... Uh, you know, when I want, I want people to come here and be uplifted and be inspired and come away with a sense of ease and peace and spaciousness in the mind and the heart. Um, and so I, I try to be judicious about my talks on this topic. Um, but I, I couldn't not communicate what he said very forcefully. And it's also been on my mind a lot. It's been on my mind a lot for the past, you know, I'd say five or six years really since I, after reading Bill McKibben's book, Earth, uh, maybe five, six, I don't know, seven years ago or so. And wow, I mean, I've been aware and concerned but that really shook me up. And it took me a while to just even absorb the facts and the reality. Um, but I've gone through recently a second wave of digestion and um, being uh, absorbing the reality just recently, and I'll share a little bit about that, and then just want to explore with you a bit about what Analio said, and also um, what's been happening in the Dharma communities lately, and um, and have us explore the Dharmic, a, a Dharmic, many Dharmic responses to. Uh, to this situation, and by and one of the things that I did, you know, I was so struck and moved by Analio's words that I wrote to him afterwards, and I said I thanked him for bringing it up, and I said, you know, I just want you to know uh, this has been on my mind a lot lately, and it's been on a number of teachers' minds uh, lately, and. Um, and there's some things that I wanted to share with, with him, which I did. And I said, you know, it would be really uh, great if you were, if you wrote some things that people could read or uh, gave some talks. He doesn't record his talks. That's the, he, he has some guided meditations that are recorded, but he doesn't record his talks for whatever reason. I said, it'd be really great if you could give a, some talk or talks, inspiring talks on the topic, because your 
a real authority in Theravadan, the Theravadan world, and or if you could write something. And he wrote me back and said, well, I am writing something. And he said, as a matter of fact, uh, he's coming out with a book on mindfulness in the fall. And he said, um, the last part of the book, the last uh, um, concluding chapter, uh, I am writing about um, this situation and the Dharmic response. And he said, and he was kind enough, he said, look, I'm going to, this has not been published yet, but here is the concluding chapter. And I was really excited. Uh-huh. He said, don't show it to, don't, don't reprint it. Uh, I said, can I quote you on it? He said, yeah, you can quote me on it. So I have the concluding chapter here. Yeah. I won't read it to you, but I'll take little pieces of it. And I wanted you to hear his take on how practice can be applied to this situation. Um, but we'll save that for uh, later on in the talk. These days when uh, people ask, as I'm sure they do you if you haven't seen them in a while, how are you, right? How are you doing? How are you? And my answer, I've been finding myself uh, just kind of say um, over and over lately is, um, well, personally, my life is off the charts blessed. Just uh, a few nicks in my in this uh, in in the package here, uh, but uh, nothing life threatening. And uh, but other than that, every aspect of my life is so um, I couldn't ask for a, a better life. A, a more privileged and blessed life. And um, my heart is also breaking for the world. And how to hold it all has been my koan. And maybe that's so for you. If you're going through your own personal uh, positive times and you... Look at the news. Of course, that'll kind of set you off. Um, but, you know, the news on the political sphere is one thing. But on the, on the environmental sphere, uh, that is one where time is running out. So, um, so my koan is how to hold it all. You know, not that my personal life will be blessed all the time. I'm also subject to old age, sickness, and death, and loss, and all of that. But right now, it's really good, and I, I know that this is right now. Uh, but the other, how to hold all of the, all of that, and uh, and still feel joy. I teach a course on awakening joy. 
And here's this situation that breaks the heart. And I, I don't know if I, I, my, I think I've probably mentioned it here before, uh, but I'll, I'll mention it again around this koan. A number of years ago, my f- uh, a f- a friend Lou Leonard, who is the co-founder of One Earth Sangha, a wonderful platform on uh, Dharma response to climate change. And I'm a, a, an advisor, uh, one of the uh, teacher advisors to One Earth Sangha. Lou Leonard, he also is the um, program, now he's vice president, but has been the climate change program uh, director for World Wildlife Fund. One of the best, most conscious uh, nonprofits, environmental profits, uh, and environmental organizations. And uh, he's really clear and brilliant and a very deep practice. And a few years ago, this is like five or six years ago or so, I said, you know, I'm, I'm caring, I'm concerned, and I have no idea what I can offer to this conversation. The, I've just been teaching Buddha Dharma and joy for the last number of years. You know, just finding joy in the, the Dharma uh, practice and in life. And I don't know if I have anything else to contribute. And Lou looked at me and he said, James, joy might be the most important thing we need to remember as we do this. So you just keep on talking about joy and figure out how you can bring it to, to this. That gave me some encouragement and inspiration. But recently I've been, um, as I said, going through a kind of second wave of digesting the reality oh, with the uh, the IPP, IPCC report that says we have 12 years window to change things. Uh, first, I'll, I'll just share with you a little bit of the of that that stuff, and I won't get into the facts. Uh, but um, something that really rocked me reali- uh, recently was reading um, David Wallace Wells, uh, who wrote this book, The Uninhabitable Earth. How many people are familiar with with him or with that with his name, David Wallace Wells? He wrote an article from New York in New York Magazine last year that is kind of the summary that went viral that became that turned into this book, where he doesn't sugarcoat the situation in a whole other way than I was ready to really take it in. Um, and it, it kind of rocked me. Uh, and my dear friend, Catherine Ingram, who's a Dharma teacher and an, uh, an, uh, a very wise woman, she, uh, Jack Cornfield turned me on to this article that she wrote recently called Facing Extinction. It's a brilliant, long article that you have to really be up for it, you know, for either of these. Uh, so I, I warn you, in fact, I sent it to, uh, I sent the, the Wallace Wells article 
to a, a dear friend of mine who's um, we're, we're we're close, and she said she lives far away. Uh, how are you doing? I said, well, this is what's going on, and I shared with her, and I sent her a letter to the uh, a, a, a link to the article, and she's she's pregnant now. And then I said, you know, wait before you you read it, um, because you have to be ready. You know, you have to be ready to really take it in and let it land and somehow process it and digest it. So that's, I'm in the middle of this processing and digesting, digesting period right now. Uh, and I've also been inspired by a couple of Dharma teachers in our scene. Um, one is uh, Tanisara, who teaches at Spirit Rock. And she wrote this very powerful um, piece called uh, Declare Climate Emergency Now. Again, sharing the, the truth and also her response, which is there's uh, no time to, um, uh, to be timid about actions. And she's been promoting the Extinction Rebellion, which is a very strong movement around civil, civil disobedience, which is aimed at just as making governments say the truth. That's what it's all about, just say the truth. And uh, so she's been part of that. And uh, a, a British teacher, Yanai Pastelnik, Anybody ever sat with Yanai or, or know Yanai at all? He's a really fabulous teacher. He teaches at Gaia House a lot, one of the main Gaia House teachers. And I'm sorry I forgot to bring my phone in. I, I had my, um, my boombox. I was going to play you a three-minute clip of him um, last month. Um, he has gone on a couple of demonstrations. He was arrested uh, on the first one, Extinction Rebellion demonstrations. Uh, they, in England, they've been blocking traffic and doing all kinds of civil disobedience. But the, uh, the British uh, uh, police officers have been very supportive of them. This could never happen here. And they've been, they've blocked a number of bridges and threw red paint and, uh, as, uh, symbolizing blood and, uh, and just really demanding that the governments, um, wake up and, uh, and, and, and say what's really happening. Uh, and on the second that I didn't, I forgot to bring in is this three minute clip of his second demonstration where he was saying he's he could be in violation of par, of parole from the probation from the first demonstration because he's not supposed to be involved in other demonstrations except unless they relate to or actions unless they relate to work uh, that he that it's part of his work there was some stipulation and he said as a buddhist minister this is my work so he was crossing his fingers that he wasn't going to be arrested. Um, 
So, at the same time, maybe uh, you saw today, uh, but in uh, Bill McKibben has an article that came out just today. Anybody see it? It was in uh, New Yorker magazine, but I think it was also uh, published in, whether it's Huffington Post or uh, uh, the Times. But this is, this is his article today, just to uplift things a little bit for you, the title of which is Notes from a Remarkable Political Moment for Climate Change. And I'll just, I'll read a little bit of it. On Wednesday, and this is, yeah, this is Thursday, so I guess this is yesterday he's talking about. The British House of Commons, led by Conservative Party, voted to declare that the planet was in a climate emergency. The day before, a CNN poll found that in the United States, Democratic voters care more about climate change than about any other issue in the upcoming presidential election. More than health care, more than gun control, more than free college, more than impeaching the president. Having followed the issue closely since I wrote my first book about climate change 30 years ago, I think I can say that we're in a remarkable moment when after years of languishing, climate concern is suddenly and explosively rising to the top of the political agenda. Maybe, though not certainly, it's rising, it is rising fast enough that we'll get real action. And then he goes on to say, this isn't the, the first time. There have been three moments in time one was where, where there was hope. The first one was in 1988 when uh, Jim Hansen testified before Congress about it and time named endanger, endangered Earth as its planet of the year. George W. H. W. Bush running for president promised to battle the greenhouse effect with the White House effect. And there was a coming together of... Um, of both of bipartisan saying, okay, we've got to do something, then nothing happened. The second moment was in the mid-aughts with the release of Al Gore's documentary, An Inconvenient Truth. That woke me and a lot of people up. And it spawned, again, another bipartisan moment. Al Sharpton and Pat Robertson uh, in ads together, Newt Gingrich and, and Nancy Pelosi sitting side by side on a couch in front of the Capitol. Pelosi says, we don't always see eye to eye, do we, Newt? Uh, but uh, then uh, Newt says, no, but we do agree our country must take action to address climate change. Later on, Gingrich said, it was the dumbest single thing I've ever done in recent years. Okay. So those were the first two moments, but now this third moment, and I'll just read a little bit more because we need all the positive inspiration we can get, and we will get to the Dharma response to this. McKibben says, and if you don't know, Bill McKibben is the 
the most inspiring um, um, organizer. He organized uh, 350.org and uh, just the the greatest voice uh, from such a pure place and brilliant. He said, but this third climate moment is rooted in broad movements, not elite opinion, and so it feels different. Right now, a group of young people is touring the country, pushing for action on a Green New Deal. Legislation earlier introduced by Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez and Ed Markey, which would push the rapid decarbonization of America's energy supply. Push for that. Polls show surprisingly widespread public support for it. Various versions are being introduced in cities and states across the nation, as well as in other countries. The Climate Mobilization Act, the most ambitious plan of its kind in a large city, passed in the city council two weeks ago in the New York City Council, and Mayor Bill de Blasio signed it into law on Earth Day. Meanwhile, much of central London was shut down for a week by a group called Extinction Rebellion, which camped on the streets, Occupy style, and had the good sense to eventually leave to fight again another day. Perhaps most remarkably, school students around the world have been staging day-long strikes following the lead of Greta Thunberg, a Swedish teenager who in recent days has met with the Pope and addressed both the European Parliament and the British Parliament. And I... Uh, last month played a, a clip of Greta Thunberg, if you haven't seen it, in front of the Polish, the Poland uh, Climate Summit. I highly recommend you see this 15-year-old, now 16-year-old, who is saying, you're leaving it to us. This is our world. We don't want your your prayers or your promises. We are telling you we're going to change things. She's really powerful. So he goes on and on in all the, all the possible things that are, that are happening. Oh, and he says, I'll, I'll mention a couple more things. Um, Many streams contribute to this tide. Ten years of movement building, often led by those most at risk, laid a foundation. Young people of the Sunrise Movement who championed the New Deal, Green New Deal, um, cut their teeth in campus fossil fuel divestment movement. Scientists sharpen their analysis with the Intergovernmental pan- Panel on Climate Change, setting the deadline of 2030. Donald Trump's foolery heightened apprehension, and that's often how it works, doesn't it? Um, and nature itself provided the strongest boost, boost. Flood after drought after firestorm in every corner of the planet pierced public consciousness. Last November, Americans saw a town called Paradise literally turned into hell within a half an hour, and suddenly they had a glimpse of what climate change looks like. And on and on. Hmm. Just, uh, I'll pause for a moment and just take, uh, monitor what your internal experience is right now. Maybe this is not what you came to hear on a Thursday Dharma talk and sitting. 
Just take a moment to digest it, process it. Know that you're with like-minded friends. Know that there's probably so many blessings in your life and let that hold the other information. They're both true. So uh, this, for me, as I process it and, uh, and digest all of this, um, my, my mind first goes to, what can I do about it? it it's so enormous. What can I do about it? And, um, and one thing that I find I can do, I'm looking for it, is to um, at least ask others, what shall we do about it? So one thing that um, that has been going on that I wanted to share, I'm trying to find, find it, is, um, oh, here it is, is that uh, some of us, the teachers, some teachers in the uh, Spirit Rock community have been... Um, in uh, very recent weeks, uh, in this last month, uh, bringing it up to the teachers' community and saying, what are we going to do about it? Um, And how can the Dharma help not only hold us, but inspire us to skillfully uh, address this situation. Mm-hmm. And so um, some of us wrote a, a letter to the teacher community um, asking, what can we do about it? And it was, um, maybe I'll, I'll read to you the beginning of the letter. We're writing to you with a sense of urgency The Teachers' Council is seen as a collective body of wisdom that practitioners from all over the world look to for guidance, inspiration, and leadership. And we ask you and all of us now to look at our response and responsibility with regard to the global climate crisis facing the world today. Certainly we know that each of us in our own way feels deep concern about this issue, but as a collective body whose stated intention is the commitment to relieve suffering and bring more consciousness to the world. What are we going to do about it? The Buddha's image of children playing with their toys in the attic while the house is on fire is an apt one. And I don't know if you're familiar. This is The Buddha has this image uh, 
imploring each of us to wake up to the circumstances of being a human in this life. And he has this image where like each of us being having the amazing good karma to be born in a human body and not realizing both this opportunity to truly awaken and um, and being distracted by our desires. And he says, we're like children playing with our toys when the house, while the house is on fire. And this was nothing to do with the environment. This is about our personal not wasting the opportunity to wake up. In, uh, in some teachings, they're called the four mind changers, where one reflects on the preciousness of this human birth and not wasting our time, the, um, the fact of impermanence and death, the law of karma, of cause and effect, and also what's called the defects of samsara, the shortcomings of thinking, oh, this is where happiness can be found. And it's said that when you really reflect on those, you're not getting caught in the meaninglessness of life as it's normally lived. And you're saying, okay, I want to face in the direction of awakening. But here we are in at this point as... Um, as a species, with our own um, dark night of the species, as uh, Andrew Harvey calls it. So here we, we have this amazing, we're at this amazing moment in time where time is running out. If we turn away, then the inevitable will happen. If we turn towards and get overwhelmed with fear or despair or hopelessness or uh, confusion, that's not going to do it. But if we each in our own way become part of the process of humanity awakening, then anything can happen. And so now I'll get back to Analio and share some of his his um, suggestions on bringing the Dharma to this situation. And maybe I'll I'll sh- I'll read some of it. He says. The key is mindfulness. Big news. But then he goes on to say why exactly. Mm -hmm. The spread of mindfulness around the globe and into a range of different parts of society offer a timely tool to face the current ecological and climatic 
crisis. The destruction of the environment and climate change have reached dimensions that, if unchecked, will eventually threaten the very survival of humanity on this planet. Here, mindfulness can offer a much-needed solution. It can become a central tool to enable us to face the horror and take the steps needed to transform what might well be the most serious challenge human beings have ever faced in their history and turn it into a great opportunity. An opportunity to raise the level of global awareness and move to a level of interaction among human beings that gives precedence to the common welfare over the individual benefit. The challenge posed by the crisis, if handled with mindfulness on a broad scale, can become an opportunity to work together to maintain the living conditions required for the survival of human civilization. This requires stepping out of the narrow confines of self-centeredness based on rigidity, on rigidly held racial, political, religious, and social identities, etc., etc. And you might say, yeah, well, good luck. When is that going to happen? But then he goes on to say how we as practitioners can embody and kind of lead the way in this and just see the the possibility in ourselves because it all starts with ourselves doesn't it he says to actualize our human potential requires the support of mindfulness to enable a stepping out of three types of reaction to the crisis denial anger and resignation and he likens these three to greed, aversion, and delusion. And this is what, how he thinks of it. This is denial as greed. <clears throat> denial, I consider to be prominently an expression of the root defilement of greed which prevents us from reacting appropriately to what is happening. The forces of greed are strong enough to have made denial an intentionally cultivated strategy by leading politicians and high-level executives of companies who would be affected if action were taken to prevent a worsening of the crisis. A common mode of such denial is to pretend that the information we have is not sufficiently well established to be taken seriously. So denial is like saying, oh, you know, I, 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 I can't, I don't want to look at that, you know, or there's, or there's, there's, what can I do? Let's go for the, the quick fix. And in this, uh, in this one, in Catherine Ingram's article, she says that, makes the point that genetically we're wired up for short-term gratification. I sometimes think of the spiritual journey as learning the power of delayed gratification. You know, instead of, yeah, this is going to feel so good, and then, oh, what was I thinking? 
it's, oh, this will feel better in the long run if I postpone my gratification now. So he says, denial is really uh, fed by the force of greed. Second type of reaction is anger. Getting angry with politicians and high-level executives is not a solution. For one, we're all part of the problem. I fail to see a place for righteous anger. There is definitely a place for stern and strong action, but this should come with inner balance. If we operate from a position of inner balance, sooner or later it becomes clear to us that those bad ones in politics and economy are in the end simply in a condition of being at the mercy of defilements, of confusion. They do not know what they're doing. Anger is a problem, not a solution. The third reaction is resignation, which I relate to the root defilement of delusion. It manifests in a sense of feeling overwhelmed and helpless. As a single individual, it just seems so hopeless to try to affect any change. What's the point of even trying? Yet society is made up of individuals and does not exist apart from them. The question is not whether a single individual can bring about all required change alone. The question is rather whether every single individual can contribute to the required change. And this is indeed the case. I'll read just a little bit more. From this viewpoint, the small steps we might take in our daily lives become simply an embodiment of our mindfulness practice. By, be it living more simply, shifting to a vegetarian diet, recycling, or even just switching off the water while we brush our teeth, all of these become meaningful, not because the world will change if one individual acts in this way. They become meaningful because they embody our awareness of the global crisis and express it on the individual level as a form of training in mindfulness. So that is something to consider that when you do something that's conscious, in the conscious mode, turning off the water or the lights or what, whatever small little act, you know, and I'm sure you've had the thought, oh yeah, everybody recycling, that's not going to do it. And on one level that's true. But if you do whatever act that you do, as a mindfulness act of caring for the planet, it brings your mindfulness practice and your connection to the earth in a whole whole other dimension. He says, practice suggestions that I'm offering concern relating mindfulness to the current ecological and climate crisis can take the form of conceiving whatever type of conscientious behavior 
or ecological activism we have decided to adopt in response to this crisis as a cultivation of mindfulness. It allows us to endow even minor acts with purpose as they are imbued with meaning by being our training ground in mindfulness, independent of their potential repercussions on the global level. From this viewpoint, then wholehearted dedication to meditative cultivation of the mind and genuine concern for the world at large can converge on the twin qualities of compassion and emptiness, grounded in cultivation of mindfulness in both its internal and external dimensions. And then he finally says, as far as uh, resignation, yeah, that instead of being resigned, you are very present. Mindfulness, as he puts it here, just as mindfulness enables us to be with physical pain without either switching off or else resisting, similarly, mindfulness can ease the mental pain of facing the horror of what we human beings are doing to ourselves. So he says mindfulness, and he said this in this last day of, of the retreat, mindfulness is really the cultivation of seeing things just as they are without contracting with fear and aversion, without grasping with wanting and and uh, and lust without identifying with the situation and just seeing this is the way things are so he says mindfulness is really the cultivation of equanimity in the face of joy and sorrow so with mindfulness practice you are seeing this is how it is, and what can my personal skillful response be, both in learning to not turn away the gaze and in finding the courage and strength to be just with things in the wisest skillful response without anger, without denial, without resignation, but seeing this is how it is. And what am I going to do about it? And the more there is a spreading consciousness, like Bill McKibben says, this is a dramatic moment. It's not like you're tree-hugging granola crunchers anymore, you know. This is a moment where everybody is wanting to wake up to this. How amazing. And how amazing that, as Lou Leonard said, joy is important, love is important, or as my friend Bob Doppelt, who is one of the great sustainability uh, experts, uh, says the Dharma holds the key to this. The Dharma brings the perspective of interconnectedness. We're all in this together. Of cause and effect, that what we do has consequences. 
of integrity, of doing what's right and what's good. The Dharma calls us to be compassionate stewards of this planet. And the Dharma lets us know that with intention is the start of um, embodying a new vision. So he wrote a book called From Me to We about how the Dharma is really holding the key. He said the Dharma holds the key to this. So here we are at this cusp, this moment, and we're not alone in caring, but our actions done from presence and balance and care and clarity and love and, yes, even joy make a difference. So to see our Dharma practice in that context, not just, let's see, can I be with my breath right now? As Analio said, this should be front and center in your Dharma practice. And letting your practice, your daily life practice, every act be done as a an expression of your love for this planet and for all life on it. So... So, um, if there's any questions, comments, um, what I'm interested these days, like I said, I don't have all the answers, but I'm interested in getting as many wise um, offerings from teachers and Dharma practitioners as to uh, the the how the Dharma holds you or what how you see the Dharma being offered in, in light of this, uh, this challenge that we're facing. So any comments, any questions? Anything? Yeah, in the back, yes. Lynn, oh, oh, okay, after you. Yeah, and real close. Yeah. I just want to say thank you uh, for what you've just offered to us. And um, for me... <clears throat> This issue is the most frightening thing I think I've ever tried to wrestle with. Um, and I'm, I'm struggling to find a way to do just what you have described. So I'm going to take what you said tonight very seriously and to heart and put it to use mm. and and it and it validates the things that I've already been doing um, mm-hmm. to try to bring some kind of integration into my personal life and what's going on in the world. Mm-hmm. So Great. I just want to express my appreciation. Thank you. Yeah. Thank you. All the way in the back is uh, Linda, who is a, a, a real um, uh, engaged and inspiring uh activist member of our community. Hi, Linda. Thank you. Thank you so much, James, for bringing this to us. Um, 
I feel that sometimes it's not being talked about in places like this where it really needs to be. And um, I've I've been on this path, um, the spiritual path and uh, climate action for the past 12 years. And I don't, I never had a background in environmental action or I wasn't a politician or anything like that. I was a mom and I really woke up, um, uh, about, about 12 years ago. So I'm part of several organizations, one that I helped found called Transition Berkeley. And we, um, are engaged at the city local level, um, with, uh, making all kinds of, um, doing all kinds of things with our city government right now. And, um, things, uh, something really exciting that I want to share is, uh, Berkeley may be the first city in the country to phase out natural gas in new buildings. And that's huge. And there was an article in the New York Times yesterday about that. Mm-hmm. And our own council person, Kate Harrison, um, has brought this uh, issue up. And, uh, so there is, what I, what I want to share is just there are so many ways uh, that you can make a difference and um, s- start out small. You can talk to me. Um, I'm also part of a 350 um, Bay Area group that meets in Berkeley mm. um, who's working on some of these big issues. But we're also doing things in Transition Berkeley like planting native plants. Um, we're getting together and repairing uh, our broken things in a, in a few weeks on May 18th. Um, we're, we're having crop swaps where we're learning how to grow and share food and talking a lot more about, you know, what you can do every day. Uh, one last thing I want to add is we are really lucky in Alameda County to have community choice energy. And what that means is right now, if you're in Alameda County, um, you can opt up to 100% renewable energy for just a little bit more money, a few dollars more per month. So hmm. there's just so much you can hmm. do, and it's a really exciting time. Hmm. Um, this this weekend, uh, there's going to be a panel on the Green New Deal at the Unitarian Church, um, BFUU, at 1924 Cedar at 7 o'clock. I really encourage everyone to learn about that. Um, Kate Harrison is offering a workshop on uh, the community choice energy that I just mentioned at 10 o'clock at, I think it's the South Berkeley Senior Center. Um, next Wednesday is bike to work day. Uh, so if you, you know, if you, if you have any interest at all or you want help getting started, I have lots of ideas and, mm. and things to share with you all. So mm. thank you. So, and one thing that I, um, I wanted to uh, um, mention to everyone and that was going to speak to you is, during the break, um, you know, I mentioned before about uh, about that global conference and us as a community doing something. And during the break, Ruby over here said, well, I have time. Maybe I could organize something. And my thought was that perhaps as a community, um, we could have a focus on a Dharma response to climate change. As, uh, uh, not that, oh, here's all the answers, but here's all the possible actions, or here's the questions to keep in mind around practice. 
And uh, I spoke to Sheila. Raise your hand, Sheila. Another very engaged uh, member of our community. And uh, I don't see, is Nan Parks here today? No. Uh, another uh, very, we have a few really strong, um, committed, inspiring members of our community. And I was thinking that Ruby said she'd be willing to be the point person. That would be a really great community project where we could all just, those who wanted could participate or lend ideas or just say, this is what we as a community are wanting to put out and encourage other communities to explore. Uh, I think that would be really cool. How many people think that would be cool? Oh, good. Well, if you raised your hand. And here's the thing. Actually, it was in Catherine Ingram's amazing article, Facing Extinction. Be, be, uh, read it when, you're, when you have a chance to absorb it all. But towards the end, she, she says that it's all about finding community and working with others so we don't feel so alone. Finding your calm, um, coming from love, being of service, being grateful, uh, and, um, and pacing your intake on, on the information. But community is one of the most important pieces. And I would just say, if you're at all curious or interested, maybe, uh, Write down your, you don't have to commit to anything, but write down your name and uh, an email and uh, maybe Ruby and uh, we can have a little bit of a, of a core saying, okay, if you want, you can join us. Okay. I want to mention, uh, uh, did you want to say, yeah. Here, why don't you, uh, here, say it. You're welcome to just look me up on Facebook too if you don't feel like this five minutes is the time for you to write down your phone number. <laughs> so, and uh, Ruby has her uh, Facebook. Um, okay. So if you're interested, why don't you just write down your, your contact information. And uh, before we close, I just want to mention, uh, yes, what is it? Uh, okay. One as well. Another wonderful resource, somebody who for years has been pointing out a lot of what you're saying today is Joanna Macy, of course. Yeah. And I just wanted to speak her name today as today is her 90th birthday. Oh, 90th? Yeah. Joanna, one of the most inspiring people on the planet. This has inspired me for years. Thank you. Happy birthday, Joanna. Uh, and I want to also mention, I almost forgot, I was contacted this week, I had a conversation yesterday, uh, this fellow who works for Assemblyman Mark Levine in Marin, Marin and Sonoma, who's an environmentalist, and they want to put on some events. They wanted a spirit rock voice, and I gave a number of other contacts about climate events, how do communities handle 
crises and disasters when they come. And uh, it was really interesting. Here's this political figure saying, I want to put on events that wake our communities up more and more. Uh, So it's happening. Why not be part of the action absorbs anxiety, is what uh, Angelus Arian says. Why not be part of the... um, the contribution instead of sitting around and biting our nails. Um, so we're all agents of consciousness. In that. Okay, let's have a closing loving kindness. And I'll just put in these names. Ethel, who recently passed at 102. Cynthia, struggling with cancer. For Chris, who's struggling with substance abuse and separation. Carol, dealing with depression and anxiety. Just think of anyone in your life who you'd like to call into the circle, into this room, and to all who are suffering, and to all beings everywhere who just want to be happy and safe and have peace in their lives. May our coming here together be for the benefit of all beings everywhere and uh, this amazing planet that we share. Thank you very much for your attention. And uh, yeah, see you next week. Have a good week. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.